Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 229 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 16th, 2012. Got a big show for you this week on the podcast. A lot of questions to get to. We love to hear from you. So if you have questions, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206 888 6755 or if you want to do it right from your computer go to peristylepodcast.com left side of the page click on the icon to leave a voice message leave it for us keep it brief 30 seconds or so we'll play it on the air for you and answer your question to the best of our ability we have Dan Weber coming up later on in the show we have coach Harvey Hyde right now coach what's up sir how are you Everything is just great. I tell you, what a great week last year for you. Last week, excuse me, for last uh, for USC football, and it looks like it's going to continue to roll. Ryan, if you remember in our last podcast, I said, "Hey, these guys better not sit back and wait. You better start committing, or you're not going to be going to USC." And I sort of gave you a, a uh, an incident as far as I was a parent and what I'd be telling my kid, and it certainly did prove out, didn't it? Yeah, that was a Monday podcast. Then on Wednesday, USC got about 900 pounds or so of commitment. So I guess they listened to the show, Coach, and, and heard what you had to say and jumped on board. I don't know if they listened to the show or not, <laughs> but uh, it's starting to happen because I think you're going to get a rash of more, too, here in the next uh, week because kids who are really serious about becoming a Trojan, they're not going to sit back and wait. If you're playing the field and you're not sure – then okay, you really don't want the competition. You don't want to be a Trojan because you know what's there and you say, hey, I can go somewhere else and I don't need to compete like this. But the true winner wants to go where the competition is, but you can't run and hide from it. And when you play a team that you didn't go to because of competition, you really don't feel you can beat them. All right. Well, Coach, before we jump into everything, I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com. That's sctickets.com. Or call them at 1-800-888-7287. Ask for Curtis. Tell them Coach and Ryan sent you. You can uh, get tickets for coaching, uh, for coaching for concerts. Uh, if you want to go to the theater, take your wife, your girlfriend, something like that. Sporting events, thing, anything in Southern California or across the country, you can go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up. And uh, Coach, I wanted to talk a little recruiting first. We did. I know we talked about it last week, and there's a question. Um, about recruiting, but before we get into that, just to let people know, we're going to try to get this up, the podcast up, hopefully by 10.30, 10.45 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, and at 11 o'clock, Jalen Ramsey, so by the time, you won't be able to listen to all of this by the time Jalen Ramsey announces live, it's going to be exclusive on Rivals.com, but we'll have plenty of analysis afterwards. Jalen Ramsey is a four-star cornerback from Nashville, Tennessee, where my wife hails from, uh, Looks really good for USC right now, so we'll have to see what he picks. But it will be live. You can watch the live broadcast on Rivals.com. We'll be tweeting all that stuff out. But So by the time you actually listen to this, you probably already know what happened with Jalen Ramsey. But it, this will go up a little bit before that. And, uh, Coach, you, I don't know if you had any thoughts on this kid. I think he's a great player. I think his stock has really gone up over the 
last couple of camps that he's been at. I, you know, I don't want to predict things, but I have a strong feeling he's going to follow the, the lead of the other players, and I think he'll be a Trojan. And then that's going to lead into uh, what is SC going to do as far as with the other defensive backs or kids out there. Hargraves is now interested. You've still got Redfield. You've got these others, so you're going to have to start predicting or projecting probably Sua Cravens as a linebacker and others to be able to take these great players. This is the year for secondary players, so you want to take all you can get, but yet you've got to be smart, too, to be able to fill the needs of your other positions. I agree with you 100%. And uh, the first question, Coach, has to do with recruiting. We normally talk about this with Gerard, but we want to we want to get you in there. You've done more recruiting than any of us. So um, this is from our friend Guy. He says, does anyone anywhere have such a threesome committed as Bigelow? He's talking about Kenny Bigelow, uh, Vanderdose, Eddie Vanderdose, and Kylie Fitz. In my opinion, Vanderdose especially looks to give anyone fits. Uh, Sorcerer O, referring to Coach Orgeron, does it again. And again, that's from Guy. He's really happy about the uh, the, the three players that signed. Uh, well, the the, uh, the defensive lineman that, that, that USC has now uh, and the not signed, I shouldn't say that, as verbal commitments right now. Well, but, excuse me, I'm sorry. Well, let me tell you, first of all, when uh, these guys verbally committed, uh, the first two you mentioned, Fitz, I told you he's got a motor that runs full speed. I liked him. I told you even liked him better than McCarthy, the kid that went to UCLA this past year. He's a tough kid. He plays hard. And, and I, I can tell who likes football. And he likes football. He likes contact. He doesn't, he doesn't get intimidated. So he's the type of kid that likes to play defense. And I think he's going to be a great player. And uh, and then when you talk about uh, uh, Bigelow, heck, I love Bigelow from the day that he's announced. And now they're talking about moving him inside, what I think is a tremendous, tremendous deal. He's six three, two ninety, but he's quick. He doesn't need to get much bigger. He's quick, and he can overpower offensive guards. And along with uh, Vanderdose, I tell you, Vanderdose, Dose, and Bigelow inside might be the best pair of defensive tackles in the country as far as freshmen right now. Uh, they could play right now. I really feel that they could play right now. Of course, they don't have the experience, and they're going to find out it's different than what it was in high school. But Vanadose and Bigelow are stars. I mean, these two guys are going to work hard. They're going to work well together. It's almost hard to say that you can redshirt these kids. You probably aren't going to be able to redshirt these kids because they're those type of players that don't want to redshirt, and they're going to be good enough to play. I think these two guys will play right away. I think they're great players. I think Fitz is a great player. And I think right now the key thing as far as Coach O and the defense is concerned and Coach Kiffin is who's the other defensive end going to be. I think that will put the dot dot on the defensive line. Who is the other defensive end going to be? And uh, we'll find out that soon. But I think it's going to be someone that Coach O is working on. He likes him. And I think somebody's going to see – What's already there, and someone to say someone's going to say I'm going to USC. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that one, guy. Uh, let's go to Mac D. He had a question on um, the depth issues, and he's talking about national uh, college football writer Bruce Feldman, who's a friend of mine, wrote uh, extensively about this about an article on USC about the lack of depth recently, and said. And this is a quote, I'd put USC's first 50 players up against any other program in the country. And no question Lane Kiffin has some depth concerns, but so does every other coach in the country. 
there isn't a program in the top 25 that wouldn't be hobbled if it had some bad luck and lost, say, its top two guys at a key position or its quarterback was sidelined. But if you actually look at what USC has at each position, the Trojans are pretty stacked. And uh, MACD wrote kind of a longer email about it, but just talking about the people throw out the depth issues simply because of the 75 scholarships. And I think that's a real concern. But if you look, you know, if you look at the two deep chart, I, yeah, certainly I think there's some, some weaker spots. Uh, but like Bruce said, the top 50 guys, they're pretty much as talented as anybody. And I agree with you. You know, you always wish you had a three deep everywhere, but you never have three deep anywhere. And I have to agree with Bruce Feldman on what he said, probably the top 50 players, if you compare them with anywhere in the country. In fact, I've said this, and I think I said this last year. If you threw uh, and all the rosters out there on the table and you drew for who had the personnel that you'd want to coach, everybody in the Pac-12 would coach US, pull USC. I'd trade, everybody would trade their roster for USC, even with 75. And you started that slogan, our 75 is better than your 85. Who would you change your roster with? I mean, let's be realistic. Sure, you might have not four running backs, but you have three good running backs. I think Buck Allen's going to surprise everybody. I think DJ Morgan's going to surprise everybody. And everybody knows about Curtis McNeil, and he makes up for his, his size with his heart. So, well, I mean, how many running backs do you need? Plus, Pinner's coming in. He could possibly, possibly be a running back if you need it. And, and Nelson Aguilar has been a great running back if you need it. Uh, I hope that, you know, they don't have to burn a year on Nelson. But I, I'm going to tell you, Nelson is so good, he's going to play. I mean, he's going to play. He's that good of a football player. But, yeah, you might have a little depth problem here or there. But look at the strong points of the team. I think the offensive line is solid. I think that the secondary can't get any better. I think the receivers can't get any better. How about the group, group of tight ends? How can that get any better? And when you talk about the quarterback position, they got the two best backups that were available the year that they came out. So they should be ready to play. There's no excuses for that. Or they misjudged uh, their talent level at that time. So, you know, sure, you have a couple of positions, a defensive tackle position, but you have kids like Woods and Uko and Tavai and these guys that are going to have to play big. And uh, if you need to make some position change, you will. But you got Kevin Green. Some of these guys are going to step up and really play above their means. It's a lot to being a Trojan now. And there's a lot of pride in living up to what Mark Barkley wants to do, and that's coming back and win a national championship. So, yes, maybe you don't have all the players at all the positions, but I wouldn't change their roster for any other team in the country. Coach, and there's a good point there, and I want you to maybe comment on this. We put out the depth charts. We, we update those on, on the site and you know whenever something happens. But a lot of times when you're talking about that third and fourth spot, if the two guys in front of the number three or number four guy get hurt, that number three guy probably is not likely to come in. There's usually enough you know, more talented players in other positions that were maybe the backup that would move over and, and take a spot. So you have guys moving you know, from defensive end to defensive tackle or whatever you need to do. We saw Wes Horton move around a little bit. I understand that the depth issues and, and certainly a bunch of catastrophic injuries would hurt this program just as much as it would hurt anyone else, maybe a little more so, but it doesn't seem like people take into account that you're not really going to have to rely on that fourth string uh, middle, you know, walk on middle linebacker if you don't have to. I mean, I, I think there's guys that can move around and, and take spots. There's enough 
talent, and you mentioned a guy like Kevin Green, unproven talent that that are scholarship players that are, you know, they look like they're very good, but we just haven't seen them that much. I think there's enough around there that someone might have to move over, someone move into a spot that they haven't played before or they have to play and we haven't seen them on the field. But it's not like there's just a lack of talent after you look at the two deep. I agree 100%. And let's don't forget about the players that are coming in. There's some great players coming in to USC this coming year. So there are talented players who can fill in. You don't want to play these players that are coming in unless they can contribute. You don't want to burn a redshirt year on a player just for one or two plays or three or four games. You want to redshirt those type of players. Those great, great, great players don't want to redshirt. Why? It costs them a lot of money as far as coming out as a junior. But uh, I'll tell you, there's, I think USC's got a great roster. Wouldn't exchange it with anybody in the country. And I think that they've become a very close football team. And you can see that now propelling down to even the verbal committed class of 2013 and also 2014. When you look at the alignment they've already got committed for 2014, that's starting another great recruiting year. So it's, it's, I think this, part, this season is very important to USC as far as continuing the trend, as far as 15 scholarships and 75 scholarships are not going to hurt us. And when you're a football coach, how many t- players can you travel? I mean, you can only travel 50-some players as far as when you travel to a, a Pac-12 game. How many players actually play in a game? Maybe 40 players? Uh, you don't want to drop off your talent level and, and have something break down where someone gets an easy touchdown. So you don't play a lot of players, but you play the players that can be proved and, and, and that, that are out there that deserve that opportunity, but they're good enough. And SC's got that roster. So I think people got to kick back and relax and hope no one gets hurt. And that's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen with somebody, but that's part of what football's all about. Okay. Well, let's move on to Brian. And speaking of depth, uh, it's kind of a good segue here. This first, he has two questions. The first one is if Curtis McNeil were to go down with an injury, uh, will DJ Morgan and Buck Allen be able to carry the running back load by themselves? Who would be the next running back? And he says, I know Dave Davis and Isaac are coming in next year. He's talking about Justin Davis and Ty Isaac. There's class of 2013 guys. But what do you think is going to happen if something happens to Curtis McNeil, coach? Well, if that happens, and I hope it doesn't happen, uh, D.J. Morgan, it's time for him to step up. I thought he had a great spring. He made a great run in the spring game. He's maturing. His knee is well. He ran track. He's strong. He's conditioned himself. He's ready for a banner year. He was a great back coming out of high school. There weren't many backs better than D.J. Morgan, so let's give him credit for that, and let's say when it's time, he's got to be ready to play. Buck Allen? Uh, we don't know much about Buck Allen, but when I saw him in the spring, and that's all I can tell you is what I saw in the spring at this level, he surprised me. I said, who in the heck is that? And the two or three carries that he had in the spring, it really surprised me. And every time I read about him, they talk about his size, and also they talk about his speed. So if he continues to, to develop and also thinks that he has an opportunity to play, you know, play, players uh, reach out. And coaches reach out to players, and they say, hey, you better get yourself ready. So he's got a good feeling going into camp. And I don't want to say you're going to move Nelson Aguilar there. You've got Pinner there from Mission Viejo, who could be a running back. Uh, I'm wondering what they're going to do with Madden next year after he recovers from his knee surgery. Is he going to be a running back, or is he going to stay on defense? I think he's going to stay on defense now with Davis and Isaac coming in. But we'll see what happens there. So you've got enough people there. Remember, 
SC's run comes off of their pass, but when they decided to run the football is when they became a great offensive football team last year. So you don't need to run the ball every down, but you got to believe you can run the football. And if you believe you can run the football and your team has the confidence in your running game, now that opens up a whole new dimension in play-action pass. So that's what I hope happens in their non-conference or their early games, that they develop the running game along with the passing game and make sure they're all ready for the tough games that will be ahead. And one that is really going to be a tough game. I watched the Stanford-USC game this morning. It was on real early, like at 6 a.m. They have, they're having replays of the top games last year. And I'll tell you, Stanford's got a lot of players back, and they are going to be tough next year at Stanford, USC's third game. I agree with you, Coach. People are kind of overlooking that game, uh, but it's certainly going to be a tough one. And I, that's a good segue. We have great segues this show. To Brian's second question, uh, despite the hype, it seems terribly difficult to navigate through November and early December having to play Oregon, UCLA, Notre Dame, and most likely Oregon again. In your opinion, what are the odds of USC pulling that off? And he doesn't mention the, that third game you were talking about up at Stanford, too. That's going to be a tough one. It's going to be tough, and Washington is going to be a tough one, too, just to mention to everyone. You know, they've had trouble beating Washington. Washington's got a lot of players back, and and it's going to be a really challenging game up there in Seattle. So you've got a challenging game every week, but you've got to get yourself ready to, to play at a level where you can compete against teams that you know are trying to beat you and, and make their season. But can they handle that? They're going to have to handle that. That's something that I – you know, that's just something you, you, you sell to the team. To win a Pac-12 championship, to be a national champion, you gotta you gotta get through that road. That's part of your road that you have to go through. You gotta stay in the left-hand lane. You can't vary to the right-hand lane. You can't get off at the wrong off-ramp. You gotta stay in the left-hand lane and play at a level that a champion plays at. And I think the key game too, if they get to that Oregon game, and let's say both teams are undefeated, the key thing in that game is they've got to beat Oregon the first time. They've got to beat Oregon the first time. That means the championship game will be back in the Coliseum. I think it'd be very difficult to beat Oregon at Oregon in Eugene if they beat USC in the Coliseum. You don't want to go back there for the championship game. That's if Oregon wins the North and USC wins the South. We're assuming that will happen. I think the South is not as tough as the Northern Division, but uh, I think that that's I think that if you're going to be a champion, you've got to be able to rise up and beat the Notre Dames and beat these teams and UCLA, whatever. Notre Dame's going to be a very difficult game. We didn't mention that because you're going to have to beat Notre Dame at home, and that's, they're going to come really challenged, ready to play, and they've got a good football program. They just haven't yet learned how to finish, and they haven't yet learned how to win. Now Stanford's learned how to win. Washington's working hard on trying to learn how to win. They scored a lot of points in their last game last year in a, in a game which Coates cost uh, against Baylor with it cost hold his defensive coordinatorship, but they're scoring a lot of points. You don't want to get in a scoring race with them. Stanford's a tough team that knows how to win. To go into Stanford, they've won 12 games, 11 games, 12 games. Uh, they've learned how to win at Stanford. And to, to beat a team that's learned how to win is even tougher, even if they don't have the same type of athlete you do. They don't surrender. They don't surrender. So uh, it's going to be a challenging schedule, and I think uh, that the first two games games are really key 
key games for USC, because rather than beat these teams badly, what they have to do is to work all phases of their offense and defense, developing their running game, developing their different coverages and their different blitzes and stunts so that they perform them well when they play against the main uh, part of their schedule, which will be Stanford, the third game at Palo Alto. Yeah, and you can't have games like Arizona State and Arizona last year where they just weren't really – they're still trying to figure things out. This team should be mature enough where – and USC fans are hoping. They hit the ground running starting in that very first game. And by the time you play Stanford, the offense won't be out of sorts. It won't be just Barkley to Woods kind of thing. They obviously have established a running game at this point, established Marquise Lee. You hope all of that stuff has been in there, throwing to the tight ends, uh, mix, you know, mixing it up, pushing, you know, putting the ball all over the field – if they're doing that, I think you have a really good shot. But they just have to avoid that slow start that you had last year. Yes, and you can't just just because a play is there, you don't just run it to death and you score six touchdowns to, to set a record. You don't do that. You got to develop your entire philosophy, your t- entire running game, so that when you need it, you've got it. And I think the same thing with the defense. On offense, your leader Matt Barkley. On defense, your leaders Roby and McDonald. And you've got to rely on those guys to get those players ready to play, and they will. You've still got a young team, but you've got a talented team. And I'll take talent over an old team that can't play, not athletes. FC's got athletes, so you've got to put them in a position where they can make their plays, and they're not thinking about playing football, they're playing football. Great points, Coach. Oh, one last topic. Um, this is from Jeremy in Honolulu. He says, but not for long. He's actually been stationed over there uh, quite a while, and he's coming back to Southern California, so I think he's pretty excited about that. So congrats to you, Jeremy. Um, he said, I saw an article about Tim Tebow participating at a recent Trojans throwing session. Is that not a huge slap in the face to our Mark Sanchez? What say you? And um, it wasn't one of the throwing sessions where the, all the players were out there. I think he was on campus or was in Southern California for something and went out with some of the players and threw the football around. It wasn't one of their... They're big ones where everyone was out there. We would have seen them at those, but I think it was just a few players that were kind of out there. But is that a, is that a slap in the face to, to Mark Sanchez that the, the guys are playing around with Tim Tebow out there? No, no. But I think he was probably out here for the ESPYs. Remember, he was at the ESPYs and probably wanted to get in a couple of days of throwing, and he probably went over there, and the kids heard he was coming over, and he needed some receivers and stuff to catch his balls. And I think it's a way of uh, introducing kids to a great kid, and he's a winner, and it's not a slap to Mark Sanchez. I mean, uh, you know, these guys someday hope to play at that level. And th- I think it's a, a motivation to these kids to be able to re- reach out with uh, players like this and, and talk to them about their skills and how hard he works and what it takes to be a winner. And uh, I don't think it's a slap to Mark Sanchez. I mean, I'm sure if Mark Sanchez was down in Florida and need to work out down there, the kids would come out and catch his balls too. Uh, I think those things happen. Uh, players work out with players. and I think it probably attracted players out there because they wanted to meet him more than play with him. He's he's one of the most popular players out there. His jerseys sell probably more jerseys just about than anybody else's, except for mommy, maybe Peyton Manning now at Denver. So, uh, no, I don't look at it as a slap. Would I have gotten upset if I was the coach? No, I would not have. I would have wanted to meet him myself and, and see exactly what he had to say. I was actually in uh, Las Vegas this weekend, and we stopped at the Nike Outlet store on the drive home. And uh, big, <laughs> the two big athletes that they had, well, they had uh, Maria Sharapova, like pictures, like murals of them up, and they had Tim Tebow 
and Clay Matthews. So USC was represented uh, well there. I, I don't maybe coach maybe one of the players if they really wanted to be loyal to Mark Sanchez and and the former Trojans they could have asked Tim Tebow if he would have played H back or something like that. What do you think? That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> I don't think he'll do that <laughs> uh, because I don't think they'll let him do that. But uh, I, I I just think it was more or less uh, a way of meeting Tim Tebow. Yes. Uh, and and I think that if I was to coach, I'd have invited him in my office even. And that's not just being disloyal to anyone. I mean it's a fraternity. Uh, most players are friends off the field. Believe me, they're friends off the field. But when it comes game day, and coaches the same way, they're friends with each other. But when it comes game day, that's that's their business. Uh, we aren't friends today. We're competing. Uh, this is what we do for a living. So, uh, no, I don't look at that as a slap at all. Okay. Well, Coach, thanks again. We're going to cut this short. It's not that short, but we cut it a few minutes short because we have to get ready for the big Jalen Ramsey announcement. So, uh yeah, check that out on uscfootball.com. We'll have plenty of information on the four-star cornerback from Nashville, Tennessee. Checking it out. And, Coach, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you very much. And do me a favor. Give me a quick call when you get the announcement, would you? I will do it. I appreciate it very much. And, again, I want to thank everyone for calling in with the questions. And uh, I'm looking forward to forward uh, to football as much as anyone. And we'll be back next week. All right. Sounds good, Coach. Thanks very much. And everyone else will be back in 30 seconds talking with USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer extraordinaire, Dan Weber. Mr. Dan Weber, how are you doing, sir? What's going on? Very good, Ryan. Uh, one day closer to uh, one week, or I'm not sure how we categorize it now, uh, closer to... Uh, uh, the start of camp, but uh, again, there's so much, uh, so much recruiting. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's been a shorter off season. It seems like uh, this year, uh, uh, with all the stuff that's happened. Certainly, it's uh, you, good you stuff. Can... Good stuff this time. Yeah, no, definitely good stuff. There's been a lot of, you know, three in one day last week, which is kind of crazy. And uh, Jalen Ramsey uh, on Monday committing. Uh, so by the time this podcast gets up, it won't be long after that that he will actually have made his announcement. We're going to be putting up around the same time. So kind of cra- <laughs> crazy stuff right now in the world of recruiting. And then, yeah, before you know it, fall, fall camp's going to be here. It's, uh, it truly is. Uh, uh, it changes every year. That's, what's kind of, that's kind of fun, I guess, about it is uh, there's no, like, normal, just this is the – Playing all off season anymore. I mean, I know every once in a while somebody will say, "Boy, I can't wait for football season to get here." But it's not quite like it used to be, where you know, for months uh, there wasn't a whole lot of news. Uh, that's not the case now. Especially, I think uh, you know, being able to show those summer workout videos where players—I mean, the the fans could actually see 
what the players are doing to get ready, throwing the football around. You can see guys like Nelson Aguilar coming in, and you don't have to wait for the beginning of fall camp to see him. Uh, I think that kind of helps just get you a little closer, get you that little buzz or whatever you need of football before it actually starts. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's not as much anticipation, but uh, there's a whole lot more, uh, you know, observation. And, uh, you know, for us, it's great. Uh, you really do have to see a Nelson Aguilar, for example, in person. <laughs> and you don't have to see him a lot, uh, you know, when there's a, you know, he's a kid like that. You just, that's all you need, but you do need to see him. Uh, just until, you know, video is great. And then it's just, you never, you never know, for example, who they're playing against, and, and, and you just don't have a, a total sense of uh, what exactly does he look like, you know, in person. Uh, and there are athletes that kind of bring that, you know, that it factor with them uh, that you can tell pretty much the first time they run a pattern. And that's what that's what you see with a guy like, uh, you know, Nelson Aguilar. You just, uh, you know it when you see it. All right, well, let's jump into some of these questions. We can talk, we got some questions about the summer workouts. We've got a couple Oregon questions, too, but uh, this one's an interesting one about the future at offensive line for USC. Get this one. Hello, this is Kevin from Bakersfield. Just have a question for the podcast today about last year's offensive line class. Um, I just want to know who you guys think is going to have the best Trojan career. Um, the best or the biggest immediate impact, and who do you think could have the best NFL career out of last year's offensive line class? Thank you, guys, and fight on. Well, it's just so hard in every way to overlook, Kevin. Uh, It's so hard to overlook Andre Walker. Uh, And, you know, literally, uh, you know, even now, even though he's not the heaviest uh, USC offensive lineman or heaviest player on the team. He just, in so many ways, he's the biggest. I mean, he just is, uh, uh, it's hard to ignore him. Uh, playing that left tackle position, one would think that, you know, he's got a, an awfully, awfully good chance to have a great deal of impact. Uh, Marcus Martin, obviously, if you can come in as a 17-year-old, kind of unheralded uh, uh, freshman and start at guard and pretty much be solid and, uh, hang in there and, and, you know, get up to speed and then just kind of, you know, be part of an offensive line that, um, uh, you know, gave up essentially the fewest sacks in the nation for a team that really likes to throw the ball. And you're playing next to uh, Matt Khalil, who's going number one in the NFL draft. You know, it's hard not to say, uh, you know, Marcus Martin doesn't have an awfully good future. So those two, you know, would, would jump out, out of that class, but, uh, as, as we see, you know, the offensive line is kind of a unit, and uh, it's kind of how all of them play together. And, uh, you know, a kid like uh, uh, Cyrus Hobby, you know, it seems like he's, uh, you know, fitting in uh, in the off-season work and, and getting a lot of work at center, and, you know, they're giving him a chance. And uh, that'll be an interesting position to see what happens after – after. Uh, uh, Khalid Holmes leaves uh, this year and, and how they decide uh, to go uh, at that spot. They'll have several different ways to go, but uh, but it would be hard not to go with Andre Walker as uh, the most impactful and uh, maybe the NFL guy, uh, you know, with a, with a career that's, that's going to – he looks like he's got the kind of physique that's going to hold up. Uh, 
and and that's also a big part of uh, of you know success in the NFL. No, it certainly does, and that's interesting the way that you uh, answered that question. I wasn't sure if he was talking about the those would actually be class of 2011 guys, or if he meant. Zach Banner, Jordan Simmons, Max Turek, the Good guys. Good question. From... I'm not, now that I think I, I was thinking Bakersfield uh, and, and the focus might be, uh, uh, you know, on uh, uh, the kids from Bakersfield, the older kids. You know, we didn't have anybody in this class from Bakersfield coming in, but uh, uh, that's a good question. I, I think the one who looks like he's the most ready to play surely uh, seems to be Max Turk. Uh Zach Banner's going to be really interesting to watch. He is absolutely, I think, at the very uh, top line of how tall can you be and be a successful offensive lineman. I think uh, below 6'8", it's not as much of a question if you can play. Above 6'8", it's kind of – I mean, I think 6'9", which sure looks where he is, is really an interesting challenge for a kid. He's, he looks awfully athletic. He looks like a wonderful kid. He's just a cool kid. And he has a lot of fun out there, very athletic, uh, got, uh, got good feet. But uh, it's a challenge. Uh, and there may be ways in which, you know, you turn that, uh, that kind of size into an advantage that we've never seen before. But he's going to be interesting. He's going to be very interesting to watch. We, uh, we think we might not see a whole lot of Jordan Simmons we're, we're just not sure about the kids talk about we haven't seen him on the on the practice field yet the kids talk about his knee and uh maybe uh you know typically you're going to think about with all the uh, incoming freshmen you're going to think about redshirting them so uh uh one would think that's you know real potential for him but uh yeah, I would have to see them more to even have a guess. I, I know this, Max Turk has, seems to have uh, adjusted awfully quickly to college football. He seems to have done it, uh, and he's had the, uh, the advantage of being here for the whole first uh, first uh, summer session, so he's had a lot more work, but he looks like he belongs out there right now. He's got some versatility in terms of playing different positions, so uh, uh, we know that much. As far as you know, speculating on uh, – on careers and all that, the offensive lineman probably would be the most difficult because uh, without pads uh, and without organized, you know, plays and things like that, they can probably show you the least in these workouts. They they don't have as much uh, that they can really uh, prove uh, ways in which they can prove themselves. So uh, uh, it's a good question, and it's one I don't think we know. I mean, if you'd ask us this question last year. Marcus Martin's name wouldn't even have come up <laughs> uh, in terms of, you know, if somebody would have said last year there's a 17-year-old kid uh, that's going to start on the on the USC's offensive line, you know, the whole season and, and solidify it, and you'd have just said, nah, come on, not not going to happen. Right. So uh, the offensive line, even if you're there every day, you're not always sure. Uh, because you don't know the calls in the huddles, and you don't know all the all the little things in terms of uh, exactly how they're trying to do everything. So that that's a, that's a that's one you've got to watch a lot, and you're still not a hundred percent sure if you uh, if you know exactly what it is you're seeing. Okay, uh, let's move on. This is a question from Kevin in South OC. 
He said, a few weeks back, you and Dan were comparing uh, our QBs to pro guys, but couldn't think of one for Max. And he says, how about Jake Plummer? Strong arm, 6'4", speed, and a gunslinger mentality. Also, on that same note, when Max was coming out of high school, I read he had a 4'5 to 4'6 wheels. How come Cody gets all the love for his escapability when, when it can move as well? That's from Kevin in South OC. Uh yeah, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I was thinking uh, maybe the 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 Shab kid uh, that uh, from Texas uh, is somebody that uh, that Max looks like. The difference is uh, Cody's got the uh, escapability, the real wide base, the real bouncy quick feet. However, if you're going to run a quarterback draw, uh, Max has got really good explosive straight ahead. Speed, and he's shown it a couple of times. Uh, shown it once uh, this summer, uh, and uh, uh, showed it. You know, I guess in the spring at least one time. Uh, so uh, they they run two different ways. But, uh, but Max is this, uh, fairly explosive for his size, uh, certainly for a quarterback his size. Uh, and, uh, and Cody's got this real bouncy, uh, you know, quick footedness. Uh, the Drew Brees kind of you know, ability uh, to, you know, where he's, he can elongate his stride or widen his stride in ways in which he can stay away from, uh, they, uh, they ran a blitz the other day, an unblocked blitzer came in on him. Um, one of the real quick kids, just I could think of who it was, which, whichever one it was, uh, came through uh, on a, where well, he was uh, kind of a naked bootleg to that side, and he still, uh, you know, here he had a guy right in his face as he turned around, and he still was able to avoid him and get the pass off, and, and fairly easily. He just has that kind of a so – there are two different kinds of runners, and they both have real pluses in terms of the way uh, they're running, the way they run, uh, and, and kind of interesting. Uh, that, uh, But they both are athletic as heck. I think they've probably, because of playing, you know, Two years together, you don't have just one of them that you can focus on as the backup. And because Matt, uh, you know, is obviously, uh, you know, gets so much of the attention as he should as a fourth-year, uh, you know, quarterback and for all that he's done for USC, we probably don't get to focus on, you know, the differences and the qualities and things that they bring to the game as much as, as, as we should. Uh, but uh, but they, both bring, they both bring wheels. Uh, they just have different, you know, one's kind of a, a dragster and the other one's kind of a, you know, all-terrain vehicle or something like that, you know. Uh, but uh, but they, they've got, uh, they've got serious, uh, seriously good uh, feet and legs. Uh, each one, they're just different. Okay. Uh, let's go to Rob. Uh, this is interesting. He says uh, he's a USC grad stuck living in Oregon, and the Duck fans are insufferable, so it's always a pleasure to beat them. But his question was, is there a specified time limit to practice time limit for players that have not started school yet? For instance, it seems to be an unfair advantage for Oregon players who are on the quarter system to have no classes until September 23rd. They can play three games or so before they even start school. Do, we, do they have unlimited meeting or practice or film room time? What gives? And again, that's from Rob. Uh, no, I think the rules, you know, are the same. Uh, uh, you know, same as same as for everybody. That's also the UCLA case. Uh, the downside of that is uh, your student student body's not on campus, 
And uh, that can really be a negative. It's certainly a negative at UCLA, I think, uh, in terms of the turnouts for the home games, in terms of just the atmosphere on campus. Uh, you could say it's an advantage, but basically now you're extending uh, preseason camp from four weeks to seven weeks. That's a long time to do nothing but football. I mean, you know, it gives you time to, you know, go into Portland 110 miles away and, you know, 45 minutes to, if you time it right on the I-5 or whatever, or I-10, what is it, I-5? I guess it is to Portland. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know that that's a gigantic advantage because they aren't going to let them have extra meeting time. They're not going to let them have extra practice time. And uh, and without the students on campus, I don't know. Although, you know, Oregon State used to turn that into an advantage. Uh, those years were uh, – you know, the student body would barely be on campus or not quite on campus, and here's USC rolling in uh, and not being ready to play, and Oregon State was ready to play even though their students, you know, weren't there. So uh, I think it all depends on, you know, on a lot of other things. Uh, but uh, I know this, if I were UCLA, I wouldn't want to be on the quarter system if I uh, uh, the football team. The, you know, like at UCLA, the band's not there. Uh, you know, to have the alumni band for two of their first games, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, it, it doesn't impact you quite as much on a campus like Oregon where the, you know, stadium's right there. Uh, you know, kids are going to come to the game anyway. But uh, but there are some negatives about that, I think, uh, almost more than the positives. I, I think it's better probably to get into the, uh, uh, the regular uh, school because basically most of the season you're going to be going to school, going to class, uh, and integrating uh, practice in with the rest of rest of your day. And so the longer I think you put that off, I think that actually can be a negative. Uh, so, but but that's you know you can make whatever you want out of out of any situ- situation you're in. But uh, I don't know that that's necessarily a positive unless you know you use it. Uh, in, even then, you could say, well, what if they, you know, go ahead and do extra stuff and all that? I'm not sure extra stuff is necessarily a good thing. If you're doing it right, you you really you don't want to over overdo it. Uh, and those uh, say say they've got seven weeks for their first game. I'm not sure you want to uh, overload them with football and and what's going to be really a long season. So. Uh, I don't think it necessarily has to. It's an interesting point, uh, but I'm not sure it necessarily gives them an advantage. Okay. Um, Kevin wanted to know, uh, let's see, he said, thoughts on what impact Nike may have uh, in Oregon's sanction levels? They sponsor seemingly every mid and major program of college sports. Could that benefit them, or will Phil Knight have no effect? That's from Kevin. Really good question. Uh-huh. We can only... <laughs> We can only guess, and you're not necessarily asking a person who uh, is uh, that confident in the NCAA's ability to handle outside influences when it comes to, uh, you know, rendering just uh, verdicts on anybody. I mean, I was a little put off by the fact that, you know, there you were in the NCAA championship game, and you look, they TV cameras, you know, zero in on uh, Anthony Davis's uh, family uh, in the Kentucky section, and there also are, you know, Phil Knight and Nike's director of international basketball, who both happen to end up in the locker rooms with their Kentucky hats on 
and all that kind of thing. God knows if that would have been a USC game uh, in football and you'd have had two sponsors like that uh, on the sidelines or in the locker room or whatever. Holy crummy, they'd have, you know, that would have been a death penalty sentence. So uh, will it, you know, impact Kentucky? Of course not. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's where the NCAA makes all their money in college basketball in that tournament. So, uh, you know, was it jarring, you know, when we hear an NCAA, you know, getting up on their soapbox and preaching against, uh, you know, all the evils of, of uh, uh, Reggie Bush turning his back on amateurism? And then, uh, you know, I mean, come on. So, you know, it's, it's hypocritical to the nth degree. Uh, it can't hurt. Let's just say this. Nike's uh, situation in terms of the Oregon uh, uh, situation will not hurt Oregon at all. Nike could, you know, if Nike ever one day decided we're going to withdraw every coach's contract and every school's contract, um, man, the wailing and the nasty, you know, I mean, most of these coaches, they make more money, you know, not from their, you know, contract with the school. Then you know from their contract with the school, and some of these guys would be getting cut down from four and three million dollars, you know, down to a measly you know million dollars a year or something like that, and that would be awful. Can't live on if you're a, a you know a higher education person. How can you live on less than three or four million a year? So uh, Nike has really helped to change the whole culture of college. Athletics, uh, whether necessarily for the good, what other people judge that for right now, but uh, uh, it won't hurt Nike, or it won't hurt Oregon to have Nike in their corner. I agree with you 100% there. We are curious to see what happens. I'm not sure when the NCAA will decide anything, but we obviously will be waiting. We'll talk about it on the podcast when that comes down. Uh and, I, and, and, okay. and there, Ryan is being very generous to the NCAA. There are those of us who think the NCAA decides things, then they figure out how to justify the decision when they announce it. But if the decision is made, and then they go out and collect as much evidence as they think they need uh, to justify the decision that was made like years before when they decide they have somebody they, A, want to take care of, or B, want to try to destroy. Uh, wish it weren't that way. Wish we didn't think that. But having gone through the USC case, uh, one can't think otherwise. Yeah, that's a very good point. That was a predetermined decision, then you try to justify it afterwards. Uh, so, like Dan saying, probably the decision about Oregon is already in there. And now they have to come up with the evidence to support whatever Yeah, I think was. Phil's made the decision for the NCAA. Just to guess. Yeah, if I had to guess, I'd guess that way too. Uh, one I last... mean, we would oh. notice, for example, they're now re- recruiting con- uh, uh, running backs from Texas again. They went on a Texas moratorium, re- uh, recruiting moratorium for a while. The fact that they started re-recruiting Texas for running backs tells me they don't have a really bad feeling about their situation. We'll see. I mean, they could always surprise us. You know, the surprises have all gone in one direction yes. thus far. That is, very, we'll that is very true. How many positive surprises if you're looking from a USC point of view? Um, one last topic, Dan. This is from Brian. He says, I was wondering 
How many seniors and juniors are currently on the roster and what will happen if less than 18 players leave after this season or less than 15 after next season? Since we're currently at the 75 player maximum and we are hoping to sign 18 players this year and 15 next year, how would USC make the numbers work? Would scholarships ever be pulled from players who have little chance of contributing? That's from Brian. You know, I, I don't think that's the game plan, but I think USC is in a situation. They've been put there by the NCAA, who absolutely could care less about players and athletes and all of that, and their role as a caretaker and a, and a, uh, you know, an organization that's going to stand up for uh, for kids. But they put USC in a position where USC must recruit absolutely at a minimum level the maximum number of recruits that they're allowed. USC must, uh, you know, they got 12 last year, which allows them to have 18 with the three early entries for this, uh, this, coming, uh, this coming season. And then uh, 15 the next season. They must recruit the minimum and see what happens. Uh, uh, there are ways in which, like this year, everything might work out. There is a, there's a real chance that, it's all going to balance out, and that would be the case. You know, I think putting numbers together now and saying, well, there are this many juniors and seniors, and if they recruit this many, what have There are so many, you know, in terms of uh, just all the things, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, injuries and health issues and academic issues and, uh, NF, you know, leaving early for the NFL, all of those are just completely unpredictable in so many ways. And so – the numbers aren't that far off uh, in terms of uh, the, the ones leaving and projected to leave and the ones uh, you're recruiting and all that. But I think the one standard you have to think about is USC must recruit to the minimum number. I mean, it was a, a terrible, terrible idea for the NCAA to limit the amount of players USC could recruit in a year. They only did that because USC honestly, fairly – and without breaking the rules, uh, recruited the right number of kids and didn't run kids off and didn't play all those games that the SEC played when they recruited 35 a year every year, and they'd end up with, over a five-year period, 185 kids recruited, you know, where there, and there are 175, and they're allowed 85 on scholarship. Everyone knew what was happening down there. Well, since USC didn't do that, the NCAA added the extra layer of, not just the unprecedented 75 a year is all you're allowed to have on scholarship. They added the extra two little uh, where they gave them free agency so, you, so players could leave who couldn't be replaced. I mean, the NCAA basically said they're hoping players get injured or fail out or leave early and that USC can't recruit and replace them. That's evil. I mean, that's just evil. It's the one area where USC you wished they would have decided or figured out a way to challenge the NCAA because there's no way USC should ever have to go through a season with fewer than 75. But let's say there's a year where they think, oh, we might have three more because of kids that didn't leave or because of the way the numbers work out, uh, and we'll only recruit 12 this year. And then something happens, and five kids you're not thinking about, you know, all of a sudden they're gone, and now you're going with fewer than 75 scholarships. That would almost be you know, malpractice if uh, if the coaches don't recruit at least the number 
that they're allowed to recruit, which is, you know, criminal. I mean, that they went below 20 a year for USC, or they could have easily said this, USC, your penalty is going to be play three years with 75 or fewer scholarships. That's it. And USC would have had the ability to adjust depending on what happens in those years. But they didn't want USC to have that kind of ability. They didn't want to be fair, and they wanted to try, I think, to make USC go with fewer than 75 scholarships. Uh, so USC can't, uh, cannot not recruit at least the 15 a year uh, for the three years. They, they, there's nothing, you know, they just cannot do that. So, uh, and if, uh, if it turns out that they've got 76 or 77, uh, you know, and, and someone uh, has to be, you know, asked maybe that, you know, the scholarship won't be there. The scholarships are a year-to-year process, and it's not something the USC asked for, and it's not something USC has ever really done. Uh, the USC's conscience, I think, is really clear in, in that area, and, uh, and yet I think the program, it requires them to recruit uh, the 15 a year, no matter what the numbers say, and see how it works out. That's, that's my take, but I think that's their take, too. They have to bring in 15 a year uh, average for these three years. For sure. And then if you just look at the team right now, it's exactly at 75. Uh, after Jesse yeah. Scroggins left, it's at 75. If someone fl- fails out, now you're below. I mean, there's nothing you can do at this point. Um, so you do kind of need a little bit of wiggle room there. Uh, and you would like it to be where there's a, a former walk-on on scholarship or something that that's lower hanging fruit. He wasn't on scholarship before. Maybe you could, I mean, you don't want to take anyone's scholarship away, but if you have to, then maybe that's where it goes. Uh, I mean, there, you know, there's still some options. You, Lane Kiffin needs to have the plan. His plan has options. And like Dan said, you want to try to make it land at 75, not 72, not 70. I mean, the the lower it goes, it could snowball and get lower and lower. So uh, it's probably going to be a little bit above that after every class. And then if you lose a guy or two, then you're okay. And, and like I said, maybe a little wiggle room, something in there where you can kind of keep it and do whatever you can to keep that number at 75. Right, but you can't ever go into a year and say, wow, we're at uh, 63 now. We can only recruit 12 or 13, uh, you know, and sign 12 or 13. You can't do that. Got to sign 15. Absolutely, positively have to sign 15. It's just like you offer a whole lot more than you're ever going to sign. Uh, that's just how you do it. You can't uh, just offer 15, for example. Um, you wouldn't get, you know, you wouldn't get 15. So uh, it's an inexact science, uh, maybe closer to an art. Uh, and, and thus far, they seem to be, uh, you know, seem to be doing it pretty well. But, for example, look at last year. You know, there a lot of people had a lot of suspicions about the last two kids who uh, ended up at Stanford and not at USC at the end of the day. Uh had, had USC not had the ability this year to go out and get 18 or to replace those or whatever, they're stuck, you know. I mean, uh, those are unforeseen circumstances where somebody tells you he's absolutely coming, tells all the players he's coming, and then waits to the end of the day and goes to, you know, one of your rivals. Uh, can't let yourself be in those positions where uh, somebody else has control pretty much of your roster. Uh, on those last few spots. You have to have options, and the, one of the ways you give yourself enough options is you sign enough players 
uh, you sign as, at least as many as they let you. Um, so you, you just you cannot uh, end up with a situation where you're trying to outguess at the end of the year how many guys you're going to have left and let that control how many you recruit. I agree 100%, Dan. Well, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. Thanks for everyone for sending in those questions this week. Again, we, we cut it a little short, but there's a big announcement coming up at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Pacific Daylight Time, I guess you'd say. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, the four-star quarterback. So, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on the show, and I guess we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, sounds great. Looking forward to it. See you, Ryan. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Stay tuned for that live announcement on Rivals.com, USCFootball.com at the top of the hour. Jalen Ramsey will have plenty more video and analysis of Jalen Ramsey after that announcement, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music